Welcome to the Talking Security Podcast. We will talk about items related to Microsoft security. Hi everyone, welcome at a new episode of the Talking Security Podcast. My name is Frans Uydenerop and today we are talking about Log4j and what has happened in the past weeks, months in the year 2021. For this topic, I've invited Jeroen Nische and Maarten Goed. Jeroen is the one who leads the product development team and is responsible for the Wartel's MDR service. Besides Jeroen, I have Maarten in this show. And Maarten is again, he was in the previous one already a few times, but Maarten leads the security division at Wartel. So both has worked in the past weeks on Log4j and for our customers for diversity of topics regarding this. I think there was almost 80 hours in a week that we spent regarding this. And today I want to look back what we had learned and so on. So welcome, guys. Thank you, Frans. Hello, Frans. When looking at Log4j, what has happened on the Thursday of December 9th, uh, Jeroen? Well, on December uh, the 9th, a vulnerability was uh, reported uh, regarding to, to Log4j. And I think it's interesting to mention over here what Log4j actually is before going into why it is so important and what happened. If you have a look at uh, the Java applications, you often need to log what's happening inside of your data. That's interesting for developers, performance, uh, etc. And when you write those logs, a framework is being used that's called Log4j. So as soon as I want to log something from my application, I can execute some, uh, some methods in the uh, Log4j library. And that will uh, send my log to a database or a file or uh, whatever. And the interesting thing in Log4j is that it can reference to objects. Objects, for example, in your Active Directory. And that's where the, uh, the vulnerability uh, is in Log4j. It's at the reference of those objects. There was a possibility found to start a remote code execution by manipulating the reference. Yeah, and the reference was uh, directly regarding a topic uh, to look into. No, it was not LDAP, but it was uh, looking into some some of directory. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, that, that that's uh, that's correct. And the topic that was used that was called GNDI. Yes, that's the Java directory component that sits between your Java application, the logging framework, and the components that you want to reference with. For example, your Active Directory. The problem was not directly in the log component, but because they added the GNDI component into that log component, because of that, it was vulnerable. Yeah, it, w- it was in the part that was making the, the reference that did the lookup based on that reference. That was where the log4j vulnerability uh, was. And Martin, when looking at that vulnerability, why was it needed to take an action directly? I think because Log4j has been used in so many applications and because of the sheer impact and the breadth of where it was found, I think it rose to quite some prominence because before December early, most people have never heard about Log4j. And then we all found out quickly that it was used in many, many applications, even those where we didn't know that it was used in before. And given the fact, like Jeroen said, that they were able to perform a remote code execution and that many of your applications could be impacted, 
you saw that teams scrambled to really have a look at it and see what they had to do because having many points in your infrastructure where you can do RC will make you quite vulnerable, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the first thing that came up within that Log4j component. I saw, for example, one of the customers that are using Log4j in their components on Saturday, they are released directly an update. But that update, that was not enough on short terms. What's happened there, uh, Martin? Well, I think the update that was provided had two challenges to it. One, you'd need to know in your infrastructure where Log4j was used and then scramble, of course, to get those instances updated. Secondly, Log4j was sometimes embedded into other software, so you needed an update from that vendor that included the Log4j update so that you could update the application as a whole. But I think that what you're stating to is that, of course, we've had quite some versions of Log4j over December because we plugged one hole and then another hole was found, right? Yeah, that's the case I want to uh, to point out. When look at the timeline, we started at Thursday, December the 9th. And then on Tuesday, uh, the 14th, the second one appeared. And then Friday, the 17th, the third one. And then on Monday, January 10th this month, Microsoft warns about a China-based ransomware operator that's exploiting Log4Chel, for, for example. So there were a few things. When we take one step, we need to take one further, uh, Jeroen. What was the real difficult on that? Well, I think that there are a couple of difficulties uh, in there. First of all, it's it's quite easy to misuse the vulnerability of Log4JS. For example, when you're going to a website of a, a Log4J application, most of the time the, the HTTP headers that uh, your client is sending to the server are being locked. So it was really easy to exploit the vulnerability. And second, it got in the news big. So a lot of attackers, a lot of security researchers were on it. That was one of the things. When looking at the whole environment, uh, we all need, uh, we, we had to need to take action on that. Uh, we have to inform our customers and so on. What was basically the issue to mitigate all these things at our customers, for example? I think the biggest concern is that most customers didn't know that they were using Log4j. And if they were using Log4j, it's not a standalone Log4j that they maintain themselves, but was part of a, a, a bigger software uh, component. And then patching gets quite complicated because the, the software vendor actually needs to patch Log4j and then release a patch for the, the bigger software component that the customer or you should apply. Martin? Yeah, and I think the mitigations, uh, you could do a couple of things. If you weren't able to patch your software quick enough, or maybe the vendor hadn't issued an update release yet, there was some guidance where you could set an environment variable that actually prevented lookups. And because that RCE actually implied that you needed connections to the outside world or to other machines or to other ports from that vulnerable server and that vulnerable Log4j instance, People also went into their network to try and contain whatever connections that server application could put out there. So we did see some early mitigations that you could apply, but it was really a stop hole to get everything sorted and uh, a combination of discovery, finding these instances, doing some mitigations, updating, and then finding out, like you said, you still had to update because of a new version meant that many teams over December spent many hours trying to figure this one out. 
Yeah, and when looking at the mitigation methods that we have used, for example, within our environment, Jeroen, are there some specific steps that we have done at our customers? I think we uh, we all started with an uh, with an investigation. So we had developed a scanner to check whether there is a a log for J library found on a server. It's a disk scan. And secondly, if we found a vulnerable Log4j instance, we had a second scanner to scan for signs of compromise. Yeah, and also I think that we have taken steps on reading log files and see what happened on the network, for example. Exactly. And that's also basically what the second scanner did. Scanning your log files and look for signs, uh, that typical string that was being used to, uh, to exploit the, uh, the vulnerability, if we can find that in log files. Well, and to add to that, you saw that the detection and engineering teams at Microsoft really quickly came out of their way to provide us with support. Uh, for those customers that had been using Microsoft Defender, you saw that both the inventory side quickly started to show those instances. And like you said, Franz, uh, through the awesome threat hunting capabilities in Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, you could start to find maybe connections or other things that you could query on and hunt for. But also in recent times, you saw that Microsoft is continuously developing those mitigations and remediations by now providing not only the alerting when abuse is found of Log4j from those older versions, but also some of the uh, remediation steps that you can then apply update a version or, for instance, set an environment variable to make sure that those lockups are prevented in the future. So I think that what we also is the power of those cloud-based signatures, those cloud-based detections, and the power of Microsoft Defender really in our hands, being able to complement those manual run scanners with a platform at scale. Yeah, and the real difficult in that whole story, there's one thing that is a, a big win, but on the other hand, it was new, so no detection was there on the first seconds that we uh, saw this uh, this vulnerability. And the capability to collaborate with uh, a team from Microsoft to add that capabilities in the environment, that was uh, really key for success in this story. But when looking at the first seconds uh, when the vulnerability appears, uh, the Microsoft systems are not detecting directly this sort of vulnerabilities. Is there a way to detect that with the Microsoft systems or on other possible scanners or something? I think what we uh, what we started to do was actually uh, start a start security researching. So learn how it is working, what the vulnerability is. So what we saw uh, on our uh, Honeypot network were the first signs of attackers trying to, uh, to compromise the vulnerability or exploit the vulnerability. And from the things that you see over there, you can learn. You can create your own detections, you can create your own scanner, and that's what we basically did. So we started creating a couple of uh, Sentinel use cases, we started building on our scanners, and that's what helped us in the, uh, in the first seconds. Well, and, and that's very true. Although I must add that it was quite hard in the first days to get, get to grips with this. In the early days, you saw that uh, people said, well, scan your logs and scan your threat hunting for GNDI uh, double point LDAP. And then we found it's not only LDAP, it's also DNS. And then we found it's actually arbitrary, whatever you put after GNDI. So having the fact that it was still evolving when everybody found out is that it was sometimes hard to track, are we catching everything and are we tuning the use cases the right way? But the power of collaboration was really what got this uh, going. 
people on Twitter, people on uh, blogs that they were continuously updating. Those are the things that I found to be very helpful. And of course, our direct contacts with the engineering teams. But the power of collaboration in this InfoSec community was what amazed me around Log4j and what provided a lot of value for detections and use cases. So on the one hand, there is the security community that we are using where we share things also in the Netherlands, but also in Europe and worldwide. But on the second hand, we are using Microsoft products uh, to secure our customers and, and so on. When looking at what Microsoft did, uh, you already mentioned uh, some pieces, uh, Martin. The thing they are sharing, creating and delivering pieces to our environment, to the cloud environment, to help our customers, what were the steps that they have taken? Well, like you said, they're fast movers. A real big shout out to both the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center, Mystic, as well as the various detection engineers and and PMs on the various teams. They are fast moving. They have the breadth of the platform. They have the coverage worldwide to see what we individually probably can't see yet. And what we found is that they started to indicate this problem, so the sheer impact, so that everybody understood This is something that will impact many applications, many infrastructure, and can be abused at a wide scale. Then publishing that info, but also updating their products with those detections and with the R&D has been massive helpfully in getting our customers safe. And it has been both Microsoft Defender, but it has also been Microsoft Sentinel that added to the picture of trying to correlate information from those endpoints together with network traffic and other sources to provide you with a complete picture. But I think the engineering teams, Mystic as one of their threat intelligence sources, has been massive in making this a smooth ride. And then uh, detections in uh, Defender and in Sentinel uh, came up. What are other products that uh, that have been used later on? Because at first we saw Defender for Endpoint and, and Azure Sentinel, or Microsoft Sentinel as it called this uh, nowadays. But I thought there were also other products that were added to the pieces uh, to detect these log4j? Yeah, no, I think it's the full suite. So when I say Defender, it's certainly not only Endpoint. And that is the Defender 365 suite that gives you a a complete picture. But you saw, for instance, also MCAS that added to the picture. MCAS that gave you, well, more an inside-out picture, I would say, uh, of what was happening. So I think it's certainly not only Defender for Endpoint. It's certainly also MCAS. It's also been the 365 suite And then having Sentinel tying all those alerts and those information points together in painting a picture of the whole attack chain around Log4j. Because you did see later on in December that some of these hack groups like Conti and many others were starting to use Log4j as an attack method. They were sometimes opportunistically scanning infrastructures to find ways to get in and then execute other methods to maybe plant ransomware and do data exfiltration. But certainly having MCAS, Defender for Endpoint Sentinel in place, gave you a complete picture. Yeah, but then we have the detections and we see hey, where well, we are vulnerable. Then we have to still take action in the customer environment or in our own environment. What do we have to do when we have a detection in one of the Microsoft products, for example, Jeroen? I think, first of all, we need to start an investigation if it was just a a script kitty that was scanning for a vulnerable uh, log4j instance or if it was a attacker group that tried to exploit the vulnerability. Based on that, we can take mitigating activities that can differentiate from isolating machines to disabling the uh, the DJ and DI component on a server with the uh, the environment variable that uh, Maarten mentioned, depending on the case. 
Yeah, and still, if it's only Java uh, with the, uh, the log4j in it, then we can update it by ourselves. Still, we have to wait. If it's packed within a software package, then we have to wait for an update from that vendor. Yeah, of course. And one thing that it's always important to do is make sure that you're protected across the kill chain. Not just only the, the, the parts where, where Log4j is in, but also the, the next steps that an attacker could take. So that when you're missing the detection of compromising Log4j, you will uh, get the next uh, event that the attacker is uh, executing. Well, and the thing I found very valuable was the threat and vulnerability management side of, uh, of Microsoft Defender TVM. Because, like you said, getting insights is so valuable. Understanding which vendors have Log4j, also the separate instances of Log4j infrastructure. And uh, mind you, that Microsoft Defender is not Windows only. Many people think that, but it's also on Linux, where certainly Log4j is, is running. So you through TVM, you could get this bigger picture of vendors, separate instances on any of those platforms. And like you said, then start working towards mitigation or remediation steps either through those Defender products or maybe Microsoft Endpoint Manager or something else to complement that action to start basing your actions on. When looking at all the insights that we get from uh, the Microsoft products, from probably yeah, log files and other things, what is the key thing that we must learn from this vulnerability, Jeroen? Patch, 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 and uh, protect across the whole kill chain. Yes, and Martin, anything to add? Uh, certainly patching is a good idea, but this is a marathon and not a sprint, I would say, is my conclusion. There'll be another log for j in the future where we need to worry about. And having processes in place, having technology in place, having the ability through a 24-7 operation to respond is something that's key, valuable. Of course, through our experience, it has been invaluable to use the Microsoft Defender Suite and use that to our advantage. But uh, of course, patching is uh, important. Having that inventory is important. Having a broad view around all of your infrastructure and aggregating through a cloud-native SIM makes sense. But certainly also having a 24-7 way to operate and respond to is invaluable. So I would say consider these things a marathon and certainly not a sprint. Yeah, and uh, when we have that insights, or what we already said, then you have to patch. Then you get insights, you can patch, you know what is happening in your environment. Martin, you also mentioned already you need to have some processes in place to have that patch management procedure in place within your organization. If you do not get your software, but operating systems and other software in your environment current, and then you probably have a problem later on. Absolutely. You need to stay ahead of the game and make sure you're up to date. And it's interesting because these are basic processes, right? If you've worked like us in IT for a couple of years, then you know that patch management has been around for ages. Uh, same goes as uh, backups and doing a restore. So these basic processes in your environment, in your IT infrastructure is still key, making sure you have them, you execute on them, basic hygiene to make sure that even in this new crazy world with lots of ransomware and opportunities uh, happening, you'd need to get those things right. Otherwise, you'd be in a lot of problems because patching is one, but having a, some sort of backup to fall back on when you do get hit, that is not an online backup, but something that you can really use when you've been hit. That is still key. So getting your basic processes right is, uh, is very key. And if we look back at what has happened and all that sort of key things, I think 
we need to take action on the first seconds that uh, everything comes across. Then we take action, inform our customers, get in contact with the security community, have the vendors uh, like Microsoft that can help us with all the tools that we can use. Are there other, other key things that what we can learn from the past month? Communication is key. Communication to your to your customers, to your employees. Make sure that they know what is happening. I think that's that's quite important. Yeah, that's part of crisis management, right? Communication, coordination, the two seats. Those are things you need to have in place when these things pop up over the Friday night and you're working over the weekend and, and such. Then you need to have some sort of crisis management, big or small, in place. But I think the biggest lesson is this is not going away. Like this will just accelerate over time. And certainly 2022 will, unfortunately, I must say, uh, be even harder for many companies. So it's not a matter of if, but when you'll be hit. So making sure you're prepared, you have your people, you have your processes, you have your technology in place is key. So start today. Like if people ask me, what's the right moment to start in time? Today is the right day to start. Consider patch management, consider backup, think what you'll do from an infosec operation, going to run it yourself. Do you need assistance from somebody else? Because the next log4j is around the corner. But certainly having those tools in place and the customers we spoke to meant that they quickly found that they could be helped and uh, mitigations were underway over the weekend. Yeah, you already mentioned it a little bit. What we can expect from future regarding these things not only from when we looking back at the tools that we used and how we helped our customers but when we look at the, the last year uh, regarding uh, vulnerabilities incidents and so on it's not stopping you already said that uh, martin it will be accelerating and i think from an infosec perspective we need to take action yesterday on that but that is a really difficult one what can we do from an, uh, the, the InfoSec community? What can we do to not mitigate, but be prepared for that? Well, from the community standpoint, I think that the collaboration that's underway is really helpful. So sharing information quickly and helping each other be on top of the game uh, is helpful. I saw a big role played out here for the Dutch government where the NCSC published lists, published guidance, published all sorts of things that the community added to and that grew bigger over December, over the days, helped a lot to, uh, so, so knowledge sharing, making each other better, playing both the blue side and the red side, so both the detection side as well as the adversary side to make sure that you have the right detections in place. And like I said, of course, having your operations in place helps. I think from a strategic standpoint and any people that manage such an operation, this essentially boils down to risk management. Like what's your appetite for risk? You need to consider this is a real risk and something that could happen to you this year, etc. How much time, how much money and how much professional operations are you spending at this point to make sure that you are prepared is a question you could ask yourself and try and understand if that's sufficient or that you need to do something else to be prepared. Yeah, don't don't wait to invest money into the infosec environment of your organization. Uh, you have to do that from now on, and and then until yeah, no no one way <laughs> will know that because what we still see um, regarding that uh, nation state attacks and all that sort of uh, sort of thing. So we have vulnerabilities where we have uh, software that is vulnerable, but also on the other hand, we have attacks from larger uh, groups of criminals or nation states. So be prepared. The possibility that you were hacked will be a greater and greater, in my opinion. 
Well, and that's what you're trying to do with threat intelligence, understanding how your company in your context could be targeted by any of these, like an opportunistic script kitty, by a financially motivated group, or even a nation state, if you have certain IP or something they need. Be prepared and uh, doing your homework and understanding that picture of threat intel, who, what, when, is something that, uh, that makes sense to start working on today. Spend your money, spend your strategic operations to make this happen. Anything to add, uh, Jeroen, on uh, what we have uh, done the last few months and uh, looking uh, into the future? Assume breach. That's one of the principles that I think that's really in here. And sharing is caring. Uh, as long as attackers work uh, together, we cannot defeat them uh, if we work as uh, single uh, in individual uh, companies or, or uh, investigators. Yeah, so still be prepared uh, for what, uh, what is coming in the, into uh, this area. Maarten, Jeroen, thank you for being here on the show, giving that insight, what has happened, what we have done, what Microsoft has realized, but also what we can expect in the future, what we have to do. So thanks for that. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having me, uh, Frans. And of course, as always, thank you for listening to this episode. This was the first recording of 2022. Stay tuned for more and until the next time. Bye-bye.